Hey, this fall, we're gonna study the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. It's about the history of Israel. And it's in Nehemiah that we see the walls and the gates of Jerusalem have broken down. Uh, right? And the wall and the gates, that would have been a symbol of security and safety for the people. And in our day, we don't, we don't have walls and gates, but we do have symbols of security and safety. I mean, you see a lack of confidence in those in positions of authority. Uh, we see more skepticism with the local church. Uh, we see uh, struggling doubts with our economy. Even in our friends and our family, there's fractures that are setting in. Well, in the book of Nehemiah, the Lord is going to walk us through a process to find our safety and security, not in the things of the world, but in Him. And so come with us, whether you're in person or online, like, share, subscribe, invite as many as possible to study the book of Nehemiah with us this fall. started my name is Michael welcome to North Village Church it's so good to see you this morning uh, if you're new here this morning welcome thank you for getting out on a cold uh, semi winter day uh, and uh, get some cold a warm cup of coffee in you so uh, good to sing with you look at God's word we're, we're focused as a church family right now on build and belong right we want to share meals spiritual gifts we want to seek peace we want to have warmer closer relationships because the vision of our church is to be a family all right, so we want to build family as a church family. And so one of the ways to help us do that are these tablets that go through the aisle. All right, Lauren, if you can grab this one on the front row to get that started. And that's just a way for us to stay connected as a church family. And so, man, take advantage of that. Uh, every Sunday we uh, get together. In 1806, Samuel Mills, right, <laughs> described by his peers as an awkward figure in a croaking voice, uh, yeah, he connected with a group of students where they started meeting weekly to study God's word, to pray, and to uh, profess faith in Jesus. And as a result, hundreds of students committed their lives to serving underprivileged people around the world in the name of Jesus. That was in 1806. In 1876, a Christian group known as the Philadelphia Society, with 110 active members at Princeton University, they committed, let's get together every week, let's study God's word, let's pray, let's proclaim our faith in Jesus. And after a year, a third of the student body indicated faith in Jesus. In the 1900s, a young man named Evan Roberts stood before 17 people. He preached his first sermon, had four points. Confess your sin to God, cast away doubts, obey the Holy Spirit, share the name of Jesus. That was his four-point sermon outline. This is in 1900s. They say within three months, the churches of Wells were filled with 100,000 people. There was even a book that was written to debunk this claim of 100,000 people. And the book, trying to debunk the claim, said after five years, they could only identify 80,000 people that were still connected to the local church in Wells. Isn't that amazing? Those are all stories of renewal. That's what we're going to talk about this morning in Nehemiah chapter 11, right? What it, what it means to, to be renewed in the Lord, right? And renewal, it, it's not an emotional response. Renewal isn't necessarily our, our circumstances 
being different, but a renewal is to have a renewed sense, a, a renewed conviction of, of following the Lord and putting the Lord first in all areas of our life. Right? There's a pattern in God's word that is not uncommon in God's word in our lives where we wander from the Lord. That happens. We wander from the Lord. And then as a result, he brings correction into our life so that we turn. We turn from wandering. We turn to follow him in confession and repentance. And then there's a renewal, a renewed sense of putting him first in all areas of our life. And that's what we're going to see in God's word this morning in, in Nehemiah chapter 11. We're going to see these three. I don't have four points, uh, but I got three points. One is we're going to see movement. When there's renewal, there's some type of movement where we're turning from where we were to where we are as we follow the Lord. There's making decisions as we make that turn. And then there's maturity where we, we are thriving in that relationship with the Lord. So let's talk about our first one, movement. Now grab that devotional, turn to page 57. This is where we are today from till August 2023. And so hopefully last Monday you started to look at our passage, Nehemiah 11, half of Nehemiah 12, and you saw a whole list of names. Well, this morning we're not going to go through all those names. We're just going to focus on one verse, verse 1. We're going to really drill down onto verse 1. So let's read it. It says, now, the leaders of the people, they lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people, they casted lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in other cities. So if you're new to God's word this morning, the book of Nehemiah, that's in the Old Testament, right? The book of Nehemiah is about the history of Israel. And in chapters 1 to 6, it looks like the focus of the book is about rebuilding a wall and some gates. But as we've been studying the book of Nehemiah, we, we, we see that it's not so much about walls and gates, but it's about a rebuilding of the people. So that, that Nehemiah 11 really begins back in Nehemiah 7 with this verse. Nehemiah 7 verse 4 says, Now the city, that's Jerusalem, was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not Built. So at this point in the story, nobody's living in Jerusalem. The temple has be re been rebuilt. The wall and the gates have been rebuilt. But nobody's wanting to actually live in the city because it was dangerous uh, to live in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the city of Jerusalem was, was the city that gets attacked, right? This is where people got killed. This is where houses got destroyed. This is where, you know, people got deported and to live in foreign empires. And so people weren't real quick to want to live in uh, the city of Jerusalem. So we saw Nehemiah 8, God's word is presented to the people. Nehemiah 9, they respond in confession and repentance. Last Sunday, we looked at Nehemiah 10, and we see the people make a covenant. They make a promise, a renewed sense to follow the Lord. So that here we are in Nehemiah chapter 11 with movement, and literally people are moving, right? They're casting lots to see who's going to move in to the city of Jerusalem, right? So just practically, that means people are there. They're living on the surrounding areas around the city of Jerusalem. They've set up homes. This is where I do laundry. This is where I take the kids to the park. This is our field. We work for the harvest. These are our friends. There's the Johnsons. We hang out with them on Tuesday, right? They had life set up and established. And yet in the context of Nehemiah 11, you see people laying aside their comforts, laying aside their familiarity, and they're turning to live in, move into the city of Jerusalem. 
Now, it's possible that doesn't land on you. You're like, that's cool. I mean, I moved to Austin. People move, right? Maybe that didn't land on you right away. But, like, just remember, I mean, the city of Jerusalem is a big deal. The city of Jerusalem, it's a city on a hill. It's a light to the nations. I mean, it's a primary theme throughout God's word, right? And on top of that, 400 years from this point, from Nehemiah 11, we know Jesus, God in the flesh, is going to enter into the city of Jerusalem. And the people are going to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we know that's coming. But for that to happen, there has to be a city. And for that to happen, there has to be people. right? And so we see this all unfolding at, at this point. So that the, the response of renewal in Nehemiah 8, 9, and 10, we see God's people making movement. They were in a place of comfort and familiarity, and and they're laying that aside to turn from that comfort and familiarity, to follow the Lord, to start over, to build up their life, to move into the city of Jerusalem. And it's a big deal. It's a big sacrifice. They're they're casting lots. We'll talk about what that means in our second sub-point, but I just want you to see the sacrifice that that they're making as, as they have this renewed sense of following the Lord and putting him first. And what does that look like in our lives practically? To follow the Lord and put him first in all areas. We could talk about all areas of our lives, but, but this morning what I want us to do is kind of just drill into the idea of like, what does it mean to, to move into a city? Like what does it mean for us practically to our attitude towards where we live and towards like a biblical view of living in a city. This is, I think this is timely. If the passage is talking about moving into a city, I think it's timely for us to talk about what, is it, what does it mean to live in a city, especially a city like Austin. I mean, Austin's going through a lot of transformation right now. We've lived here since 2006. Maybe some have lived longer, but I feel like we're right in the midst of seeing Austin turned from like a, a big town to a, to a city. And in some ways, I don't know if you feel this or not, but there, there's a, there could be a part or a layer of us that's even asking the question of like, do I belong in this city? Like it's changing so much. Like do I fit in with this city? Like are these people my people? I don't know, are y'all asking that question? We just had a voting uh, that took place a couple of weeks ago. Right, I know we have people that are liberal politically and some that are conservative politically. So we got, I know we got both. So it doesn't matter if you're liberal uh, or conservative politically, but inevitably when there's a vote, you kind of get a data point of where everybody else is in the city and then how you kind of fit within that voting, right? And, and just like in any situation, some of us kind of got what we want when we voted and some of us didn't. But inevitably you're kind of left with this feeling of like, they voted for that? That many people voted for that? Like, does anybody else think like I think? How could they vote for that, right? Did y'all feel any of that? It feels a little, a little lonely a little bit of just like, are these, who lives in this city? Like, how could you have voted for that, right? There, there's a little bit of attention for it. So I wanted to talk about that a little because the passage is allowing us to kind of, what is our attitude towards living in a city? In the city of Austin, right? Because there could be a part of us that's thinking to ourselves, like, it's hard to live in Austin, there's traffic in Austin, right? Have you been on Mopac? 
35, those are scary places, right? There's high taxes in our city. There's cultural influences. Uh, there's, there's values in our city that do not line up with biblical values, and so they rub against us. They rub against our children, and, and so what does that mean for us living in the city of Austin? Because, like, surely God wouldn't want us to live, like, in a place of tension and frustration, right? I mean, it's, it's possible that some of us might be thinking, like, right? I mean, surely God wants us to live in a nice, peaceful, quiet place, Right? Isn't that what the God of Scripture would want? A place of tranquility? Isn't that what, what God would, would want for me? Like just peace and quiet? So I just want to just keep pressing in on this. Because just one thing, just right off the bat. First thing is, no matter where we live in life, where you live in the city of Austin, in New York City, Mumbai, or out in the country, like you, you got to know that, that like we're not going to be able to manufacture heaven on our own based on where we live. Does that make sense? Like if Austin feels uncomfortable for you, you got to know you're not going to be able to move to a place where you can manufacture that comfort on your own. No matter where you live in life, there's going to be trials. There's going to be uncomfortableness. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be hardships, right? That's what James, when we studied James, it taught us. It's not when, it's if. No, it's not if, it's when. There's going to be trials in life, so we're not going to be able to move to a location to avoid those trials. So just keep that on the front end. The second one, the primary theme in Scripture is not, it's not that of God's people living out in the country, I don't know if you know this or not, but the primary theme in God's word is not God's people living at home on the range. You just don't see that where an antelope play, right? Where seldom is heard. That's not that the, I mean, that's not what we see in scripture. In fact, it's just the opposite. What we see in scripture is God's people living in cities. God calls his people into cities, right? You say, well, there's the garden, Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah, a garden where they're given the, uh, 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 a command to say, be fruitful, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Which means they're not alone. That's a lot of people. You're going to fill the earth, right? The idea is a city, Jerusalem, a city throughout Scripture, right? Even when you go into Heaven, the new heavens and new earth. Revelation 21 is describing a city. City people, God's people are living in the city. So I just want to caution you because there could be this, like as you're feeling this rub of like Austin, it's like, oh, like this is different, it's uncomfortable. Just know on the front end, like we're not going to be able to move to a place where we remove uncomfortable things. There's always going to be trials in life. And the predominant theme is God's people living in cities. So I'm sure you could push back on that and you could say, well, 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 Michael, Austin's not heaven. Like, Austin has some serious challenges. Yeah, you're right. It does have some serious challenges. So I just, I just want us to ask ourselves this morning, as a follower of Jesus, are our plans for our life being shaped by our preferences, or are they being shaped by God's word? It's just a question. This is a question I can't answer for you. But for you who are in Christ, to ask ourselves, like, am I making decisions for my life, my career, my family, for my preferences, for my comfort, for my familiarity, or am I submitting my life to the Lord and say, Lord, where are you calling me? Where would you have me live? 
Like, what are you doing in my life, Lord? In my career, my marriage, my parenting, my life? Like, I want to be in your will. Like, I want to pick up my cross. I want to follow you. Lord, I want to put you first. I want to be renewed in that sense of putting you first in all areas of my life. And ask ourselves that question. Because it's in the context of the city where you're going to find homeless people, where you're going to find mentally unstable people, where you're going to find the immigrant, where you're going to find the poor, where you're going to find the immoral. And you might be thinking to yourself, that's why I don't want to live in a city. (laughs) But isn't that the exact place where God's people should be? I mean, it's in the context of the city where you're going to see world influencers. It's in the context of cities where people are influencing government, fashion, education, finance. Is that not the exact place where God's people need to be in a position of influence? Not out in the countryside with a dog and a cup of coffee and a piece of hay and our mind. That's not the thing. Like, isn't that where God's people should be in influence? I mean, it's in the context of a city, especially our city, Austin, where languages are being represented from all over the world, cultures, demographics, ethnicities from all over the world so that when Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all the nations, is the city not the exact place that God's people should be? What an what an opportunity we have in the city of Austin. So you're sitting there, you're thinking, Michael, but the city of Austin is hard. It is. I'm not trying to tell you it's not hard. It is hard. But for us to ask ourselves, like, like am, am I making decisions for my life based on my comfort and familiarity? Or am I making decisions because the Lord has called me into those places to be salt and light for his glory? Right? There's movement. When we talk about renewal, there's a, there's a renewed sense where we move from following ourselves to following the Lord and putting him first. Let's talk about our second subpoint: making decisions. Renewal is going to bring movement. We turn from the, following ourselves. We follow the Lord. So it means we're going to make some decisions. Casting lots says, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots. Casting lots, that, that would have been equivalent to like rolling dice. That would have been uh, like drawing straws. And whoever gets the shortest straw, you're it, right? That's how they would have made decisions. Back in the day in the Old Testament, in ancient times, they would have made decisions for the Lord's will on their life through rolling dice, through drawing straws. And they trust that if the Lord is sovereign over life and death, then he's sovereign over the roll of a die. So that's how they put Saul as king. That's that's how they made decisions in Jonah, which direction to go. When Judas betrays Jesus, that's how they replaced the disciples. The next, they, they cast lots. That's why Proverbs 16 says the lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. So they were trusting. The Lord is sovereign over big and over small. So does that mean we should flip a coin today? Should we throw a dice? Like, should I do that? Let me just like, I mean, maybe. Right? The Lord is sovereign. He's in control of all things. 
But what we see a pattern in Scripture is that as we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is that casting lots goes to the background, and then there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And it's through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we're able to make decisions. So as we turn from following ourselves to following the Lord to putting him first in our lives, we have the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us as we make those decisions. When you are in Christ, you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We not only have the Holy Spirit, but we have God's completed word from Genesis to Revelation. They didn't have that in Nehemiah chapter 11. So as we make decisions of following the Lord, putting him first in all things, we have God's completed word. We know more about his character, more about his will for our life. We not only have the Holy Spirit, God's word, but we also have godly counsel. Hopefully, godly counsel that we've been building and belonging, building close into our life that are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, that know God's word, that as we follow him, put him first in all things. So that's the idea. As we make the decisions, we want to surround those aspects of our life. So when we ask that question, are our plans for our life, the decisions that we're making, are they for our comfort, our familiarity, our preferences, or are we putting the Lord first in all areas of our life, in our finances, in our career, in our marriage, in our parenting, and where we live. We could talk about all areas of those life, but let's just continue to talk about living in the city. There's many places we could talk about. Let's talk about, is the Lord calling me to live in the city of Austin for his glory? What a great question for each of us, that we wouldn't see our attitude towards the city of Austin by accident, as though we stumbled into this city. Well, how did I end up here? But instead, we would bring that before the Lord and asking ourselves, Lord, have you, are you calling me? Because our attitude changes. Like if we're just kind of stumbling through the, the city, our, our attitude changes a bit. Like, Lord, have you called me to live in this city? And if it's not this city, then which, where, where are you leading me? But now I'm here because you've called me? Lord, it changes our attitude. Because what I've found is that if we're not careful... If we're not careful, if we're not, no, I'm in this city because the Lord's called me to the city, that we'll end up going in two, one or two different directions. We'll end up going in one or two directions. One will either become antagonistic toward the city of Austin, right? If we're not careful, if we're flippant as to why we are in the city of Austin as a follower of Jesus, it is not, it is not difficult for us just to become annoyed with the city of Austin, Right? We get annoyed with the traffic. We get annoyed with the taxes. We get annoyed with the voting. We get annoyed with the people. We become antagonistic with the people. We become hard-hearted toward the people. Like, what do you think that's going to do for our influence in the city if we're hard-hearted, antagonistic people living in the city? Right? It's going to hinder our influence. And so we have to be careful to know, like, why are we in the city? If we're not, we could just become antagonistic. And if we don't become antagonistic, I found is that we end up blending in with our city. That we become in agreement with the values of our city. That we don't stand out in our city as followers of Jesus. We just become consumers of our city. We love the city of Austin. We love the tacos and the barbecue and the sporting events and South by and AC. I love that. It's so cool. I love telling people I live in Austin. They think I'm cool because I live in Austin. We just become consumers. We end up blending. We end up disappearing into the city of Austin and thus hurting our influence in the city for his glory. So ask yourselves this morning, man, has the Lord called me 
to live in the city. Because what I see in scripture is not to be antagonistic. It's not to be in agreement. But God's word calls we who are in Christ to be salt and light. That we who are in Christ are to be in the city, for the city, as a blessing to the city. As a blessing to the city. Looking for ways to serve the city. The people of the city. Looking for ways to proclaim God's word. To be, to be that city on a hill, the body of Christ. To be salt and light. And to sometimes disagree with our city. Sometimes. Absolutely. Sometimes we push back. But not to be antagonistic. Not to be annoying. Not to just get them. <laughs> we push back on them for their good. For the good of the city. Because this city is his city. It's his city. No matter what it's known for, it's his city. And so we're in this city for his glory. So church family, like as we make those decisions, you want to flip a coin, flip a coin. But go before the Lord asking, where are you calling me to live, to work, to raise a family? And then let us do so as the called out people for God's glory. Amen? Yeah. Let's talk about maturity. Let's talk about maturity. Renewal brings movement. We make decisions. Therefore, how do we thrive? We don't want to just live in the city. We want to thrive in this city. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to tell you on the front end. This is going to be really hard for you to follow me on this last point. Because I'm going to get there from holy city to maturity. So don't check out. Because like, this is going to be a thread. And I'm just going to tell you, it would be easy for me to lose you. And I'm going to try not to. So lean in with me. Right? 11 verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring out, to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. So whether you live in the country, right, we don't need to look, out, look down on people who live in the country, right? It's not wicked <laughs> to live in the country. Or you live in the city, right? What matters is not our happiness. Right? That's not what God's word, as followers of Jesus, doesn't call us. Go, go find a place that makes you happy. You won't find that in God's word. No, it's about being holy. Right, so whether we live in the country or whether we live in the city, like God's working in our lives for us to, to grow in holiness. Right? And, and, and the reason is, is, be, is because he is holy. Right? That God is holy. We see that holy city, that God is holy. And, and, and people in, in the ancient times, in Nehemiah 11, they didn't believe God was like Zeus. God wasn't like just like a lightning bolt or had like a, some cool characteristics. They believed God was holy. Like, he's righteous. He's holy. He doesn't just point to holiness. Like, he is holy. That he's perfect. That he's just. That he's good. That he's gracious. Right? And so that he is holy. And so what we know from Nehemiah, uh, the book of Nehemiah, is that humanity is not holy. And so when you see this holy city, you got to ask yourself, like, how is that possible? How do an unholy people live in a holy city? Does that make sense? Because we know, we know that, that people are not holy. We're not perfect. We're broken. We're sinners. We're imperfect. Right? We do hurtful things to each other. Right? We've fallen short of God's glory. Right? We used this illustration a couple of weeks ago, is that we were created uh, in, in God's image to reflect his holiness to the world, but because of our sin, we've fallen short. And so it's like that, that lake 
on a calm, windless day, and it reflects the mountains, it reflects the trees, it reflects the skies. Like, that's what God intended for us in humanity, to reflect his glory. But somebody throws a pebble in that water, and it just ripples through. It ruins the image. It distorts the image so that all of humanity is this, is this distortion of what he created, right? He created us to be holy, but, but we live in this unholy, unholy place, right? So in Nehemiah 11, how are these unholy people? Does that make sense? You follow that thread? How are these unholy people going to live in this holy city? If unholy people live in a holy city, wouldn't that make it an unholy city? Well, I'm glad you asked. Galatians chapter 2, the apostle Paul answers this question. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth. We, that's the apostle Paul, he's Jewish, talking about Jewish people, you're born It's an ethnicity. You're born Jewish. You're Jewish by birth. Yet we know that a person is not justified. That word justified means to be declared righteous. It means to be made holy. He says we know that a person is not made holy by works of the law, by outward works, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So that's how you get a holy city in Nehemiah chapter 11. Right, that the, that the people in Nehemiah's day, they're not made holy by outside works. They're made holy by grace through faith. You think to yourself, wait a minute, Michael, Nehemiah 11, Jesus wasn't in Nehemiah 11. Like they didn't know about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in Nehemiah 11. I'm glad you asked. Look at Galatians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul continues this argument. He says, just as Abraham, before Nehemiah, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Stay with me. Credited. Abraham's in Genesis. This is in Genesis chapter 15, well before Nehemiah chapter 11. Abraham is credited righteousness. That word credited means grace. It means Abraham is given righteousness by grace, Through faith. So that in Nehemiah chapter 11, all throughout the Old Testament, every man, woman, and child, they would be going through life, living by faith and a Savior to come, just as we today go by faith that a Savior did come. Does that make sense? That's how they lived in a holy city. That's how Nehemiah 11, the people in their day, became a holy people. They lived by faith. That one day a Savior would come, just as we today live by faith that a Savior did come. So how did they in Nehemiah chapter 11, how did they mature? How did they thrive living in that city in that day? Well, they held two things in tension. The same two things that we hold in tension today. They wept and they rejoiced. Stay with me. Follow the thread. How do they mature? Like, they wept and they rejoiced. You see it in Ezra. They rebuilt the temple. In Ezra, he comes. He rebuilds the temple. They rejoiced. The temple was rebuilt. It had been destroyed, but they also wept. They wept because they know it wasn't the fullness of God's promises. Does that make sense? That's how they thrived in the city for their day. They wept and they rejoiced. They rejoiced at the Sabbath rest, but they also wept. They knew the rest that they longed for, the rest that God's promises provided, they weren't fully made known on the Sabbath day. So they they rejoiced and they wept when it came to the animal sacrifices. They rejoiced. 
that the animal could be sacrificed, the, the blood of an animal could be shed for the atonement of their sin, but they also wept because they knew. They knew that that animal wasn't the fullness of God's promises. Does that make sense? That's how they wept. They rejoiced at what they had, but they also wept because they knew it wasn't the fullness. Maybe that's confusing. Continue to follow that thread. Think of it like this. When we first moved into this space almost a year and a half ago, we would send out drawings. Remember how excited we were? We had Miran make graphics, and this is what it's going to look like. This is the paint colors. This is chairs. This is the stage. We had architectural designs, right? It was just one big empty space. And so we sent out these drawings, these models of what this space might look like. But then as we got the keys, as we moved in, as we built out this space, those drawings no longer were necessary, right? Those, those designs, as nice as they were, we don't need those anymore because we have this space, the fullness of this space. They're, they're now like in some boxes, right? They're not, they're not the focus because the drawings were simply reminders of a greater reality that was to come, the space that we're in. That's what's happening in the Old Testament. That's what's happening in our day today. Jesus comes. He enters in to human history. He lives a perfect life. He takes our sin at the cross. He conquers it through the resurrection. He is the fulfillment of the temple. He's the fulfillment of the ultimate sacrifice. He's the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest. It's all in him. And so he calls out to all who will hear, be it then or now, come, turn to Jesus, trust in Jesus, have life in Jesus, know the fullness of what Jesus has to offer. That's what he's doing right now. And that he's gonna give you his grace, just like in Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, that he will credit his righteousness to our account. Just as they believed in a Savior to come, we believe in a Savior did come. His name is Jesus. So we today, you follow in the thread. You can go back on YouTube if you need to watch it. How do we live in this city of Austin? How do we thrive? How do we, how do we mature in this city? Well, we hold those two things in balance. We weep and we rejoice. We weep. It is hard to live in a city that values things that are contrary to God's word. It is hard. We should be grieved. We should lament that. We should weep the influence it has on our children. We should weep at the friction it pushes against us every day. It is fatiguing. We should, we should be grieved that God's word is mocked and condescending to the to the values of our city. We should definitely, absolutely, but we don't stay in that place, becoming antagonistic and hard-hearted and wallowing in bitterness, thinking that the only way we're gonna find peace and comfort from life is if we move out in the middle of Alaska to get away from these wicked people. No, we don't go to that place. We weep and we rejoice. We rejoice that we get to serve the city. We rejoice that we get to be salt and light in the city. We rejoice that we get to serve the city. We rejoice that we get to proclaim his name to every man, woman, and child. We rejoice to be salt and light. We rejoice at those opportunities to proclaim his word, to call out to the city, come, hear about Jesus, find life in Jesus. We rejoice at that. What a glorious opportunity we get at that. That's what God's word teaches us. That's the vision that's on the wall of our church, that we want to be a family. We don't hunker down, build a fortress away from this dark, scary city, but we want to be a family 
who's captivated by Jesus in such a way that it moves us to chase after the men, women, and children of the city. That's the vision of our church family. Did you follow that thread? We mature and we thrive. We thrive in the city because the city is his city. Yeah? So let's celebrate. Let's celebrate communion this morning. We're going to celebrate the life that we have in Jesus. Jesus did this with the disciples. He sat at a table and he held up a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, my body's going to be broken for you. And he held up a, a cup of wine and he, and he says, this cup, it's a symbol of my, my life being poured out for you. So that there's a new covenant, a new relationship It's not an outside work that you could never accomplish. It's an inside work. It's about what Jesus has done at the cross on our behalf, through the resurrection on our behalf. He says, drink of it, eat of it, as often as you will in remembrance of me. And so we want to invite you to come forward. We're going to have our elders at the front. Our worship team can come to the front. And they're going to hold out the cracker. You're going to dip that cracker in the the juice. It's gluten-free. And you're going to celebrate a small snapshot of the, of the life that we have in Jesus. And as you come forward, I want to invite you to keep thinking about that question. Man, am I living my life for my comforts? Am I just chasing after what's familiar to me? Right? Am, I, am I just doing what I want to do? Or is there a renewed sense in me to follow the Lord? a renewed resolve to put him first in my life. That's what we're praying for in our church family. A renewed sense to put him first in all things. Because I'll confess to you, like there is is an unsettledness in me living in this city, in this day. And just this last week, the Lord's just pressing in on me. For me, he was just showing, like, Michael, you're trying to create your comfort on your own, your own power. And a lot of that unsettledness is because the Lord's not doing what I want him to do. And I'm unsettled by that. And so the Spirit of God pressed in on me. He says, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. And so he's inviting me to be a part of that with him. And I invite you. to turn to him, to seek him, to put him first in all things. If you've yet to trust in Jesus, then we ask you to hold off on coming forward. But if you have, then come. Dip that cracker in the juice. Think about what it means to put him first. Celebrate the life we have in Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the men, women, and children that are here this morning. God, we do grieve. We grieve the hardships that it is to live in the city for your glory. We pray you would also help us to rejoice, to be salt and light. We trust you for it. It's in Jesus' name.